0: This is Base Layer brought to you by Arca. I'm your host David Nage. This is Base Layer where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David and this is your new episode with Mike Dudas from The Block. We had a great conversation. I've known Mike for a long time before he started The Block. I actually saw the first pitch deck for The Block, we talked about the state of the state of crypto news, and we talked about why some of the legacy players seem to be a little bit slow and continue to use this narrative of talking about the all-time highs of Bitcoin of 21,000 and how it capitulated down, whereas Mike and the team at The Block are really at the forefront of the, the news and the information flow within this asset class. So, this is a great conversation. We talked about a lot of the narratives that are happening within the news perspective. We talked about you know things like geofencing and the regulatory effects that are happening. So this is a great one. Mike and the team are cracking a lot of news. They were at the forefront of the Libra news. No one else was really covering it the way that they were, and they got a lot of exceptional coverage for that. So this is one to definitely take a listen to. Remember, nothing on base layer is investment advice, so please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're gonna hear the conversation with Mike. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I am so happy about this. I have my good friend, Mike Dudas, from The Block with us today. Mike, how are you? I'm doing quite well, thank you. So I've gotten to know Mike for the last few years, and full disclosure, I am an investor in The Block, and so I've gotten to see this journey that Mike has taken from leaving Button to forming The Block. I have seen the early imagery and arc of the block when they were starting to come up with their logo. I've seen the early pitch decks, and Mike has built an amazing business, and the block has become the go-to source for news and information in crypto. And so, Mike, if you could, as we like to do on the show with guests, we don't like to go through the origin story in terms of when did you find Bitcoin. But when you did find Bitcoin, and I know you are very, uh, very, very proud of Bitcoin and you love Bitcoin and you're very an advocate of Bitcoin. What about Bitcoin? What about blockchain really said to you, this is where the innovation or the revolution is going to happen and made you decide that this is where you're going to have to pursue your career?
1: So the most exciting thing about Bitcoin, which came onto my radar in 2012, but really hit me hard in 2013 was, hey, here's a way that folks can transact outside of all of the intermediaries uh, that are involved in a traditional you know payment flow. Uh, that's not language that you know would make sense to kind of a layman. But I had since two thousand and nine been working at Google Wallet, and at the time I was at Braintree and Venmo. and I had spent so much time. You know, working to negotiate uh, mobile payments with uh, retailers, with credit card networks, with credit card issuers, and the number of folks that you had to deal with to to get one transaction uh, from you know a swipe, you know, all the way back to the merchant is just incredible and the promise at the time of bitcoin was you know we can do this and we don't need all these trusted intermediaries and hey maybe there's going to be some cost savings uh, that comes out of that that was to me you know the thing that immediately struck me it was also you know post financial crisis a few years later i'd read the the sort of for me a seminal article that Shamath Palatopia had written about it being, you know, Bitcoin being schmuck insurance. Um, so, so on a, you know, basically a personal level, it was that the payments use case, which obviously still hasn't materialized um, to the extent that, that we'd all hoped. Um, and then on a macro level, there was this sort of schmuck insurance against uh, individual countries uh, and a number of other economic scenarios where there's rampant inflation. Um, where there's you know monetary abuse, and that one has, has obviously been the one that's uh, realized itself over the last six seven years, and uh, is the primary pro Bitcoin story today. Um, but candidly, I gravitated towards the one that hasn't picked picked up yet, which is which is payments. And I mean, look, we're we're I think you know we're a decade into a I mean a century long plus journey. Uh, I would expect so. Uh, very early days.
0: You've talked a lot about that article having an impact on you and the Schmuck Insurance, and I know you've cited that article a lot. And hopefully, people have read it. Um, but you know, we'll probably put some links in there in the in the post on that because I know it's an important article. Um, and so you read about this. You were obviously you know kind of at Vemo. You were at some of the payment sides. You saw the promise that kind of having a distributed ledger and having the ability to disintermediate the middleman, if you will, could have on retailers um, from your perspective. And so we've seen, you know, L1 and, you know, layer one Bitcoin having some scale. And, you know, obviously there's been some scaling issues and we've seen SegWit, we've seen some other attempts at L2, Lightning and some other things to try to hopefully speed up that process using side chains and hash time locks and all that other good stuff so you know that's a good one you know to kind of delve into so you you saw this you saw this promise of disintermediating the middleman um and then you said okay i'm going to attack this market by setting up a prominent news and research facility how did you come about that
1: so i looked at this market uh in late 2017 and it was a time that I was four years into the journey of I had founded a company with with a few other fantastic folks, a successful company in, in mobile commerce. Um, and it was a it was the fourth company I'd been at in a twelve year journey in the mobile commerce space. And I really felt like uh, I'd never tapped into what. I think cryptocurrency and blockchain technology, but, but really the money properties of cryptocurrency uh, change, which is the ability uh, to transact, to have uh, an economy that runs parallel uh, and or outside of the centralized, uh, government-backed, big institution-backed and, and heavily regulated, um, you know, money system that we've. In our lifetimes effectively it's been the only thing that we've known um where government tr- you know the, the trust in the government and the backing of the government is you know what gives money its value so the i wasn't that deep into it like it, it was more for me a very obvious thing which was like every company that's being built just sells to a bank or sells to paypal like there has to be something bigger and so 2017 was the watershed moment for a lot of folks it was the first time that you saw like a, a, a real use case at scale outside of a store of value, which was, look, you can actually like do transaction financing, right? And and while I think you, there's a lot of things coming home to roost now from a U.S. regulatory perspective, uh, in other countries it's a different story. So you had you know companies raising money, um, you know, directly to the public on you know in a, in a and then. Uh, effectively being able to build blockchain technology and fund it a- in a very different way through an initial coin offering and the economics of that, the claims on assets were you know existed or didn't, but but things were very different than they'd been previously. So that uh, caught my attention. I had missed Ethereum for a couple of years um, while I was working outside of the cryptocurrency ecosystem. So 2017 was that watershed moment. So. Fast forward, I made the decision that I wanted to move into the space, that it was a mixture of all the things I loved, um, which was money and governance and politics. I'd been a public policy, meaning an economics and political science major in college. And what I realized is look, I'm not uh, competent as an investor at the work level. You need to be in, in an emerging, uh, what I call frontier technology area. So, hey, I'm not going to invest here. And by the way, I did think things were overvalued, certainly didn't think they dropped to the levels they did but but definitely thought hey, things are overvalued um and I didn't understand how to invest in the early stage stuff because I'm not an engineer, and you know even today we're still at the protocol level with a lot of what's being built so um, then I considered, hey, should I jump into a project, right? I've worked at companies my whole life, but I really didn't have the full faith and confidence to jump into any single project. So um, I said, how can I help uh, just just me, who is of, uh, you know, when you think of really intense crypto folks, below average knowledge in terms of, you know, I haven't been in this ecosystem for six, seven years. I was in some telegram groups with just geniuses, right? Engineering geniuses, economic geniuses, folks of all types. Uh, and and was it was the first time in a long time that I felt very hesitant and shy about communicating or talking. And I said, wow, like, if I feel this way. Well, then, um, you know, and I've spent a fair amount of time uh, learning about what's happening than so many other Folks must feel this way, so I I think I can work in media. Uh, I can work in education and, and explaining things. So that was the niche um, that that I said was was a good fit for me that I was excited about. And uh, what was interesting at the time is the price of all these cryptocurrencies was really high when I started the block, and I thought, and, and there was a ton of retail action. I actually thought. We, we were originally, you know, the, the tagline was crypto-simplified, uh, going to educate and, and bring you know, 50, 100 times as many folks into the space as existed at that time, and, and obviously, um, the crash was, was really fast, really uh, brutal, and frankly, in, in retrospect, in hindsight, it didn't affect our fundraising, so we were able to raise money to, to move forward with the company. Mm-hmm. And it did affect our focus. It moved a lot of folks out of the space. It made it crystal clear that that, you know, it was still extremely early days, very institutional and professional focused. And you know, that's where um, you know, what we do today, the block being the financial information services company for digital assets, meaning, you know, research, analysis, journalism, and data for mm-hmm. digital assets. That's a professional offering, and that's very different than what, you know, I had conceived of when I was pitching, for example, you, uh, you know, over a year ago.
0: (laughs) It's true. Um, And so talk about the evolution. We didn't necessarily prepare on that one, but I remember the evolution. I think it's quite interesting for the listeners because – You actually beta tested a lot of this before you actually went live with the block. After your fundraise, you actually started kind of testing it on Twitter. You started testing it on Telegram. How did you actually start building the audience that you have? Because that is incredibly valuable. And having the audience that you have is also, for investors that are looking at the block, something that they would look at too.
1: Yeah. So we immediately... Uh, again, being a very social person, and there's a reason, you know, in, in the media and information space. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> so, I started a when I was uh, beginning to learn, I noticed the complexity of you know cryptocurrencies, uh, the fact that they rely on uh, you know heavy technology, right? Networks, um, security. Um you know, uh, basically each one has a different programming language that's often confusing and hard to work with. you know, some are flexible, some are extremely inflexible. Then you have to work on governance and you have to work on um, you know, basically what the inflation of this particular currency is going to be. Um, there's so many um, multidisciplinary issues that you have to deal with. No one person, can be an expert. So I was in groups with folks, as you said, on Telegram and, and reading discussions on Twitter and just seeing the level of uh, confusion, but, but also the level of shared learning and said, wow, you yeah, know, this is, this is an ecosystem that I think is important and that's ripe for learning by group and learning by conversation. So created my, uh, a Slack group um, that, that did evolve into the name, The Block, and it ended up being about twelve hundred folks. It was free, and we had a really live, you know rich conversation going on um, people actually a, a company was founded out of out of this a, a number of folks you know discussed jobs, discussed investments so it was a ton of fun. But what was really interesting is this particular time was one when People were. This was like when Binance just took off, right? So like people were trading all kinds of coins, and the conversation again was very retail oriented. It was a number of my friends who who now aren't, you know, even with Bitcoin significantly recover, uh, recovering, you know, really aren't involved in the space. So it was a very, it was a very different time. Right. Um, but uh, that and and a lot of the learnings I was able to glean there and then share publicly. Certainly helped, and and this is a very very social space in so many ways, right? Again, from governance, from you know, if you listen to um, Bitcoiners, for example, they talk about social attacks on uh, you know, the protocol and, and the community, and there's just such you know such a social element that goes beyond the pure technology uh, that really was attractive to me, and it's it's been exciting. Mm-hmm. You see the different communities that have evolved around speci- uh, specific tokens, but but also, you know, even subgroups within the specific token. So it's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating uh, space and time, but yeah, I got a leg up before starting the company by participating in a community that I'd helped to inc- incubate.
0: Yeah. I think that was really smart and uh, it's always great to be able to beta test something before you go live. And so uh, it definitely worked out in your favor. And so, Getting to how the block versus some of the mainstream outlets treat crypto. Um, and so I think this is interesting because with the soup du jour of Facebook slash Libra slash Calibra, um, you know, it seemed, you know, from, you know, perspectives on Twitter and social and the investment community within digital assets that the block really had a leg up. You guys were breaking news uh, about the uh, components and the people and the companies that were participating, uh, you know, being validators on their node for I think it was ten million dollars a piece. You had that information and you were you know scooping that up before any of the mainstream news media outlets like CNBC and Bloomberg were really covering that. And so I'm really curious to get your opinion on this. You know, the block versus mainstream outlets and news. How are you guys, you know, first, how are you guys breaking that compared to others? And why are they so damn slow and just they don't seem to be so motivated to cover the space as compared to you guys?
1: Mm-hmm. So the um, so one is uh, media and the media and journalism element of our business. Uh, that is very, very much a people business, um, people moving from one company to another people. People like journalists establishing relationships with companies uh, and people sharing information that is out there that they know uh, that, you know, isn't ready to be shared with the public. So we're fortunate in that, um, and then people trusting you, meaning like like they have to believe that if they share information with you, it's not uh, going to, there's not gonna be recourse to them. So um, we're fortunate that our journalism team is extremely professional, extremely well-liked, understands the topic that they're covering, and this is key. So if somebody gives information to one media outlet versus another, you know, they're trusting that that outlet is the one that they want to spread the message about this particular piece of news. And so it gets to your Bloomberg question, it gets to your fortune, you know, your New York Times question. So mainstream media has been covering this space for a long time, and uh, they've—it's—it's it's not necessarily for them a passion uh, to the same degree that it is the folks working on our team. So, what we've seen as we've built up credibility over the you know, past nine months is that an increasing number of important stories are getting put in front of us because people trust our treatment of it, they trust our understanding of it, and they know we care. So. Like we're going to get to the bottom, and we're actually going to challenge and give good feedback to them on whether you know there's a good or a bad thing. So that happened with uh, with the Facebook news, and it wasn't just uh, you know one individual; it was multiple folks who who helped us uh, with that story. And um, at the end of the day, I think I I would say Facebook at first probably didn't like it, but once they saw the totality of the work. Uh, and I can't speak for them, but you know, we've not really heard uh, any n- negativity from them since. I think they're probably you know, happy with with the way we represented it. Um, and then they shared it with a number of other folks who uh, ultimately, I mean, embargoes, if you think about what happened here and what happens with most big news, it's embargoed by the company, right, that's presenting it. And yeah, I, I think in terms of the media, in terms of people's ability to digest information, it's really a net negative for everybody but the company. Um, so anyway, well, if we're included in an embargo, like and we've agreed to it, we'll respect it. But all it means is that uh, in the case of major, major news like Facebook's, you're going to get fifty stories dumped on you the, the day that it occurs. So yeah, we feel like. Uh, we did a service to the cryptocurrency community, you know, by giving folks the ability to digest the key elements, by covering it with the um, care and attention it deserved a couple days early, uh, earlier than, than than Facebook anticipated. But it also gave everybody else the chance to cover it as well.
0: Right, and here's the interesting kind of comparison, and so. While the block was dissecting the white paper and there was a technical white paper and there was also an executive summary and they've also provided a lot of information on their new site uh, for Calibra, you know, other news outlets were, you know, for some reason I always see this is that the news outlets always like to start with the same paragraph. Well, Bitcoin was at 21,000 at the end of December of 2017, and then it dropped all the way down to 3,000, and now it's kind of hovering back again. There's always that same first paragraph, and then they go into the story. And so the block never does that. Um, you guys always start from, you know, what is the actual story? Not, you know, let's talk about how Bitcoin was at 21,000, you know, back in December of 2017, which. Is almost now coming to a two-year timepan, you know, and there are still news outlets that are using that first paragraph. Um, so yeah. I think that's an interesting comparison. And so, talking about that crypto winter, um, you know, you actually spent, you know, the block actually almost, if you can say, blossomed out of crypto winter. And so you were growing this business, you were raising right around that time. How difficult was it at that time, or was it not that difficult because people saw the writing on the wall that this was a needed uh, kind of resource in the ecosystem? And if you learned anything, what did you learn during that period you know in terms of you know building out your future roadmap?
1: So the first thing I'll say is it wasn't easy to raise. so it wasn't easy to find a lead.' Uh, we, we've, we've never not that I specifically sought it out but but we don't have uh, another person on the board uh, and you know our largest checks are in the $250,000 range so, we, um, you know, we've raised two rounds of funding. We raised a two million dollar uh, note uh, last summer, and then you know recently we just closed a million and a half dollar note um, at a higher valuation. And we have some wonderful investors, but the they were both difficult to raise. What's interesting is the second note was actually harder to raise. The first one it was on an idea, and and so people were really excited. About what we were going out to build, uh, the price of was still higher than it is today, if you remember, I mean, when I pitched you, I think it was May, April, May, uh, June time period of uh, 2018. So so that round was fairly smooth. Uh, then imagine, you know, I went out and it was it was difficult over that summer place the price plunged and uh, we we changed our focus we were going to do a co-working space an educational thing like crypto simplified and we changed the whole tenor of the company so we had a little bit of very early turnover um, two folks who were very early as the team moved on and uh, we, we shifted focus and that's when I recruited just the absolute pillars of the of the company uh, Stephen who heads our you know, who, who is our first researcher, Larry, who's our head of research and analysis, and Frank, who's our head of news, and, and those three hires helped us go from sort of zero to serious almost instantaneously. So what's fascinating, uh, but but I guess obvious about news and information is that, and especially in this age, is that people and personalities are are, are so 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 critical, right? So those three uh, folks were the earliest folks to take a risk. And once they did, we were able to attract a team of wonderful folks around us. Um, I also had taken a risk and built the site out with not a full-time CTO, um, but took the risk to do it with a development shop. And they did a great job, which attracted an old friend of mine to to join Jake McGraw as CTO and co-founder. And he's been incredible and built the team real fast. So then fast forward nine months. Um, we we've got 15 people and very little revenue. So the second round of seed funding was the hardest to raise because we're still in the middle of crypto winter. All right. So so I raised around um, sort of end of Q1, beginning of Q2 this year. And remember, we were in the three thousands to forty five hundred range. Yeah. And it was it was really, really hard. So it took me a month longer than I thought it would. Uh, our deck leaked, which actually ended up helping us. But it was it was tough. I mean, you know, as an investor, I think it probably took me two months to, to get the investment update. You're actually probably still waiting for one. I have one coming out over the weekend. So um, it is, uh, but it's a great one. So so it was a really tough time. Q1 of this year with the price low, a fully loaded team. Were, we had just put up the paywall, so our traffic dropped. Uh, it, it was a really challenging time. And then my goodness, like what we had prayed would happen. Uh, Hey, stick around, you know, be tough, like build a business in the bear market. The best, you know, the, the, the best businesses are built in the hardest markets. You're going to see, you know, who really cares and who's true. And we built that team. And then lo and behold, man, like it, it's almost, it was like, out of like a storybook, but the market started to recover. You know, and I'm literally looking at the price of Bitcoin right now. It's approaching 9,500, you know, as we're talking. And uh, it really just has changed the mentality of everybody. I mean, every single metric that we look at, we, as of June, have more unique visitors, more uh, traffic, more website visits, more revenue than we had in the entire month. Of May, and we're barely through, you know, we're a little more than halfway through June. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just been monstrous. And you can just feel the momentum building. So um things have changed. I mean, the 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 things that are happening in the industry, I think media companies and inf- media services and, and information companies are a bellwether for the level of interest, you know, as is trading volume and other things. But uh, I can tell you that the inbound that we're getting, the traffic we're getting, the revenue that we're generating uh, has been really powerful, and I've actually been surprised. So, you know, we're our our business model is a bit mixed, as you know. So we run about fifteen sorry twelve to fifteen free stories a day, and about three uh, paid or premium stories a day that you know, are really difference makers that can you know help you make money and make great decisions, and we charge uh, enterprise pricing for that. Uh, so $1,000 a year, $85 a month. And those sales have been pretty consistent and really picked up over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But the ad revenue has just gone through the roof, you know, as this market over the last four to six weeks uh, has recovered. So so we're really going to exceed our goals uh, in that area. And it's it's exciting. And we're becoming, you know, a real site. You know, other sites are... Complaining about Google and this, that, and the other thing, but you know, I think those are the ones with you know freelance writers and, and you know folks who don't really understand the industry.
0: Let's talk about that. Um, you read my mind, and uh, we actually, again, we did not prepare that conversation, but you read my mind. So there was this for people who are not as you know following this, and again, we always like to say that you know, digital assets and crypto is a 24-7, 365 kind of asset class and technology stack. And we'll talk more about that later as it relates to news. but you know, there was a few outlets out there, one in particular, which we won't have to name right now, but they had claimed that because of Google's new uh, privacy and settings that they were going to have to shut down. You know, there's also this other kind of narrative that's happening with geofencing. We've seen some of the exchanges on the on the cryptocurrency side start to shut down U.S. investors. And so there's this whole thing that's playing out, you know, that And then, of course, we saw with Facebook, you know, there was was commentary about that today, that for a time and period about a year ago, I know the block was actually uh, shut out of of, uh, being a part of Facebook for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, So what part of that, you know, do do you you see this as a narrative that some of the corporations out there or, you know, in terms of some of the, the governments out there are trying to kind of lock out the U.S.?
1: Yeah. So from it, feels like two different questions. So one is, you know, do I think technical gatekeepers, meaning existing technology companies, are trying to block, you know, new emerging tech companies in the cryptocurrency mm-hmm. space from succeeding? Uh, I think that was overblown, and uh, so I'm not a believer. For example, uh, there was a company, uh, CryptoCoin News (CCN) that made a big deal about their traffic being cut. And my belief is it's because they were uh, attracting, you know, intentionally low quality traffic and doing some funny business. The uh, other question is more, and then like Facebook blocking ads. I mean, who knows? I, I don't know, like I was annoyed as heck that it took them so long and that they and Google and others, but. Blanket uh, blocks on um, cryptocurrency ads, even from companies like our own, and uh, but yeah, we found other ways to grow our business, and so I'm not going to sit here and complain about it. Uh, I don't think that it was as negative as you know what's happening at the uh, yeah with government. So so the U S. specifically, because you asked about the regulatory climate here look it's it's still confusing as hell right so mm-hmm. you know you look at any single body right the CFTC you have somebody like Giancarlo who, who you know who's on and you know folks are you know he he's a, he's a fan of cryptocurrency and then you know you move over to the SEC and you have you know governors who, who sort of disagree on um, or commissioners who, who disagree on you know, basically what their uh, position is. And and they're having speeches that basically contradict one another, you know, depending on who they're talking to. And uh, and then you've got, you know, FinCEN, and you've got the New York Attorney General. I mean, it's just, and then you've got the Southern District, right? Like you have so many different regulatory bodies that your head as a company must just spin off Off, uh, I mean, it's just insanity. So, like, it's it's it it would be paralyzing to be a company today, you know, thinking about doing a token offering. Um, and I think you know, people weren't necessarily aware of or or understanding of how uh, these different regulatory bodies and legal bodies would come down on them in 2017. So, people took you know, various levels of approaches from aggressive to conservative, and it looks like aggressive, you know, is going to be the one that's going to bite people in the ass, and that's not surprising. But uh, you see kick versus the SEC. You know, you see a number of folks who have already, you know, sort of settled. Um, I think most projects, if it's sane, will prefer out-of-court settlements, but the SEC is is going to make an example, right? And it, you know, who knows if it's going to be KIPP or somebody else, but it looks like that one's going to court. Um, it is having an impact, to your question. Uh, you can hear it directly from the heads of the projects. You can hear the frustration from people who are trying to comply, like um, and, and and the Blockstack team. Uh, you can see, you know, you now in props doing an offering where they're just giving away tokens after having done an ICO. Uh, there is just there's no clarity, tremendous uncertainty. And um, you know, it, and it feels like the SEC is talking out of both sides of their mouth. I mean, you've got the chairman yesterday saying, Hey, we're gonna relax or we should relax the rules for individuals to access. Hedge funds and you know other risky assets, and we should change potentially the accredited investor rules. And then over here, you know, you've got these projects that with innovative economics that are you know not getting clear guidance. That being said, you know, an, a number of these projects are nonsense. So they're money losers. They're uh, effectively angel uh, investing stage of development bets. That were raising money at like series B valuations, and, and it's egregious. Even professional investors are going to lose money on these uh, investments, except for ones who got insider deals. So it was an ugly scene, mm-hmm. and that you know, I would say that as a blanket statement there were pockets of things that were not ugly, you know, honorable founders, honorable investors. Um, but there was also some really nasty stuff that happened, and I think you know we're going to see that come out over the next couple of years. So there's going to be a number of projects that are just going to be hamstrung by regul- regulatory uncertainty. Right. And uh, I don't think I think you're going to see fewer token offerings and innovative financing structures mm-hmm. if that is the sort of secret sauce that uh, of, of of you know this next era. Then you know that puts the U.S. behind. Uh, if you believe like I do that you know Bitcoin, and if you believe like many do that Ethereum are let's just say the base layer, right, of innovation, and you know those are the cryptocurrencies that matter. Then you know build on top of them. You don't need your own token and build build a business on top of them. Buy your Ethereum, buy your Bitcoin, and and build something on top of them. I think there's going to be a lot of great businesses there. So um, I won't. I wouldn't say that you know innovation is being stifled uh, in the U.S. quite to the degree that other folks are saying it is. Right? I would say like VC gains will be stifled, and that's why they're allowed. I would say Cooley's legal fees will be stifled, and that's why you know you see them participating. You know, and basically in this asking the public for money for defendcrypto.org. That's I think going to pay for. Coolies legal fees, which is insane. Um, you, know, you see things like that. But, but ultimately, there's a lot of room to innovate. There's a lot of room to make money in the cryptocurrency ecosystem. So you know, I would say, you know, work around the regulations and find those opportunities. And those are things like decentralized finance. Um, those are things like building an alternative uh, financial infrastructure, whether that be on top of Bitcoin or others. Um, bringing Bitcoin to additional people and building uh, businesses that are like picks and shovels, businesses like ours, right? Information. But, uh, you know, it's going to take time.
0: Speaking of on-ramps, I saw that you guys have a nice relationship with Lolly. So we'll give a shout out to Alex Edelman and the team over there at Lolly. Uh, They were on the show a few months ago, big fans of them. Um,
1: I do want to pause. Like, Alex, I, I love. Like, he's a really, really... Uh, great. One, he's a great guy. Two, he's a really excellent entrepreneur. And so the business model that he has, which is shop and get Bitcoin back, mm-hmm. is really it's smart, right? You know, historically people have been like cash back, you know, you know percentage back, but um, you know, I think he's really, really honed in on something that people love, which is uh, you know getting Bitcoin for doing the things you do every day. And uh, and he's made it so user friendly, and that's I just want to just hit that point of really like not enough folks. I know we hear this a lot, make things super user friendly, but but damn, he he sure does, and his team does. Okay. Um, so I and this is not sponsored, <laughs> but <laughs> but I I would encourage folks. I mean, as a friend of his, to uh, to check it out.
0: I agree. And so kind of giving into so we just talked a whole bunch about different, you know, things in terms of what's being built. We talked about some of the narratives, we talked about, you know, kind of geofencing, regulatory effect. And so, you know, as I said, you know, a few minutes ago that this asset class, this technology stack is twenty four seven, three sixty five. You know, mm-hmm. normal equity investors, normal traditional market investors, family offices, institutional investors usually see a four PM close and they kind of, you know, Wipe their hands clean and they call it a day and they go home. That does not happen within crypto. It is when, you know, whenever you go, when everyone goes home here in the States, the agent markets are popping. And you've seen that time and time again. If you look at any kind of Bitcoin chart or any other crypto asset chart, you see that there's always a pickup, you know, come around seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night Eastern, there's always a pickup because the markets over there are now now humming along. For a, you know, news and media company like The Block, How hard is it to cover an asset class that just doesn't sleep?
1: Yeah. So, so it's extremely difficult and it's why we needed to raise a a decent amount of a good amount of money out of the gate, right? One, we want people who care and we want um, full-time folks versus, you know, folks who are just writing freelance and and aren't dependable. I mean, that's, that's from an administrative perspective, from a team perspective, it's really challenging and, and not optimal. So uh, and need to have coverage, as you said, somebody awake at at all times of the day on your uh, news and journalism team, particularly. So uh, we're really excited. We just hired a woman, uh, Yogita, who's based in India. Uh, We have folks in Eastern Europe, Central Europe, and, and London. So. We now, you know, we have folks in, in all the time zones, all four time zones of the United States. So, so we're well covered and it's it's really good for us from a uh making sure that we don't miss things in perspective. It's tough still, you know, you have to edit, um, but the, and, and the and the markets never stop. And so so people you're handing off responsibilities, you're tired, uh, and you have to basically You know, use good consistent judgment and processes in a really fast moving environment to to determine and to really say like what matters and, and how it should be covered so we're working on this just like everybody else is and and we haven't perfected it um and i don't think anybody else has either so it's a it's a it's a process um but but we're having fun, and and the key to doing it successfully is having people who really care and are interested. And that's the only way you can have good judgment. If you don't really care about crypto, uh, you you really it's hard to tell the difference between one headline and another.
0: And there is a very important point. Again, going back to traditional uh, media outlets, the reporters and the people who are asking the questions regarding crypto and digital assets and blockchain, they seem to not have that passion and again reporters on the block um and others out there there is a passion you can sense it this is something that they care about this is something that they've spent a lot of time understanding it's not just something it's not just paper that they've been given that they're reading and they're just asking questions to an interviewee it's uh it's something that you know is pretty evident when you notice the reporting on the block versus others out there um the last thing i want to talk on before we get to know you a little bit better is there's been some attempts out there um, to use the underpinnings of uh, Bitcoin's you know, kind of blockchain technology, this notion of consensus, this notion of having models of distribution where you have validators out there that can kind of look at data, look at news and validate if it is true or not. And there's been some startups like True Story out there that have been trying to do that what's your opinion on using the technological underpinnings of blockchain to curate and remove fake news? Would the block ever use that? Or is there any kind of idea, uh, kind of ideation around that?
1: Um, so it's not in our plans. Uh, the, the, I don't, the amount of data, this, I mean, look, like Facebook can't even do it, right? Or, or at least uh, they need human moderators. And we all uh, many of us, I'm sure, saw the horrible story yesterday in The Verge about you know, the toll it takes on these human moderators. Uh, in addition to all of the algorithms that they're using to identify, uh, you know, content that's true, false, extreme, you know, uh, you name it. Right? YouTube is being investigated by the FTC. I mean, it's a very timely question, and uh, and you and YouTube's likely going to be fined significantly. I mean, Australia passed a law that. Uh, you know the folks like down to the ISP who allowed this this content that might be prohibited to get to someone uh, would be liable. It's a little bit you know tangential. It's not tangential. It's a it's a little bit uh, to the side of what you asked. But but being an arbiter of what's true or not or what's appropriate or not in this day and age is uh, extremely difficult. So it's not something that is part of our mission today uh, in terms of doing it from a provable via technology perspective. What we are trying to do is be the uh, objective source that analyzes, you know, all of the different inputs into something and uh, and carries a brand, carries uh, a factual backing and a credibility uh, and, and a, a reputation for, for fair treatment and thoughtfulness that will make people trust us. And it sounds funny, right? That's like, sounds so old school, Um, like New York times, that would sound like they're like 1900 mission. But honestly, in this world, uh, it really feels as if we're further away from being able to algorithmically pin down the truth than we've ever been. Uh, And in fact, we're moving back to that age where, you know, any given city, it feels like has just, you know, hundreds or thousands of publications based on where people are spending their time online, uh, which is how cities were in the day of you know local newspapers and you know multiple ones in each city. So I believe that um, while noble, like I, I like like the True Story team, uh, in their first iteration, made a good attempt at, a, at, an, at an interesting problem uh but but obviously it wasn't the right approach to the problem and they and they're working on something else and they have a good team and and hopefully will make it work uh the notion of a token curated registry in general uh is one that you know I'm skeptical of like mm. I've, it ha- I haven't seen it working uh to date we could spend 45 minutes talking about it right. um so that, you know it's probably better to have other folks on to do that but I'm skeptical that those work. Uh, what does work is, is what's worked for the history of humanity is is you know trust in other people's judgments in um, how they evaluate systems. And it's funny, you know, systems and products. And it's funny to say that, but uh, but but it really it really is true. And it's why you see this meme uh, warfare, and it's why you see these battles on top of the of the technology itself um, day in and day out. It's because, you know, basically the backing of, of anything that we're doing here is, uh, you know, it's backed by sort of the, the trust and, and the faith that we collectively have in, in these things that we're creating, these assets.
0: So interesting, we're supposed to have trust in a trustless system.
1: Right? I mean, it, it, it does, you know, it does seem backwards, but, um, but at, at, at least if we can trust, you know, the mechanics of it. Then we can talk about all the other things around it, right?
0: Right. Very interesting. And so, getting to the top of the hour with you, you know, as uh, it is accustomed with all the other guests that come on, uh, base Layer, we'd like to learn a little bit more about you now, aside from being a diehard Liverpool fan. And so, everyone can know mm-hmm. that Mike will always be, you know, at a bar watching LFC when the season comes about. And uh, hopefully. They can uh, do what they did again this season uh, to the and of some other people, like Chelsea fans, which I am also partly a Chelsea fan too. Um,
1: and, my, and my investors, right, because their games are often in the Champions League at 3 p.m. during the middle of the week. So I tend to bring a computer with me and I'll watch and work.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, we'd like to know what you're reading. And it doesn't have to necessarily have to be crypto related. You know, if there's anything that you have read recently that really resonated with you. And also music. Um, yeah. I've always kind of yeah. identified music as really giving a sense of someone's personality. Uh, we've had people like jeremy welch come on and say that he loves metal we've had other people come on and talk about music in their specific region like in poland and we've had other people talking about electronica so what music are you listening to but also what are you reading
1: absolutely so so the most recent book that i finished was uh bitcoin billionaire um billionaires i'm sorry about the Winklevai, and. Uh, you know, it was it was a really fun book. It wasn't tremendously, you know, deep. It was by Ben Mesrick, who who I think is a great author, and he wrote, you know, what turned into the Social Network. Um, so, you know, those those gentlemen, the the Winklevi, have been through a tremendous amount, and to see them come out of it with such conviction after really being screwed over in the, in the Facebook era, uh, it, it's powerful to see that they invested in Bitcoin, made a ton of money, and and have built. Uh, Gemini, which isn't really discussed in the book very much, but is going to be—you know—that'll be volume two, and I think it's is a really interesting, you know, regulated business and something that they really focus on regulation. Uh, I had read—I read that after I would read uh, Bad Blood, um, so it was fun, you know, to kind of read about you know one of the biggest frauds uh, uh, that had occurred in in tech, you know, hmm. Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. Uh, and then follow that up uh, with Bitcoin billionaires, which was a story of you know, risk and and emerging success. Uh, what I'm reading now, and and so I, as I mentioned, we've raised two rounds. The second round, a million and a half, was primarily raised from funds from from different parts of Asia, from Singapore, from China, uh, from Japan. Uh, so we we basically are, are you know looking east, as they say, and we. Uh, so I've been reading The Age of Ambition, a great book about you know how China's become so much more commercial, but also you know the restrictions of you know the communist regime, regime uh, which is extremely powerful as we know as always. It's particularly timely with the trade war uh, that's emerging between the US and China. So I'll be doing a lot more reading about that. I recently read a book about uh, South Korea and and went to the Deconomy cryptocurrency conference there. So I'm doing a mixture of uh, all nonfiction right now for me and um, a mixture of just broad general technology and uh, and then reading really about um, kind of geopolitics, but generally with a focus on business uh, in Asia. And then uh, music. So I got to tell you, I I really loved... uh, (laughs) I really loved the the Bradley Cooper and and Lady Gaga movie, A Star is Born. Uh, something about it just hit me, man. I, I've watched it like three times on every plane I'm on. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just really interesting. The, the music is beautiful uh, to me. And it sounds cheesy. Like I'm not normally into this kind of thing. but uh, So I've been listening to that soundtrack quite a bit. And just uh, not about, like, it's not about, like, for me, personal love, like I, I have a wonderful family, um, but just uh, it's a, a lot of it is about kind of loneliness, uh, and then emerging, a star is born, emerging. So, you know, we're trying to build something here, and we're trying to emerge, you know, into a really, you know, just like in the movie, it's it's a, it's a, it's an intense world out there, and everybody's sort of haunted by you know X, Y, or Z. And uh, you're emerging into this uh, glare where more people are focused on you. And uh, it feels very isolating, even when you have you know, really good people around you. So it resonated with me. And so yeah, that, was, that was a movie that I saw. You know, the, and I don't watch a ton of movies that, that really hit home for me wow. and, the, and the soundtrack around it.
0: I did not know that, so that's a good piece of new information about Mike. Um, The last thing that we like to do with guests is to give them an opportunity so if people who are listening want to learn more about the block or actually get on the block or reach out to you, uh, feel free to let them know where to go.
1: Absolutely. So Twitter is just the best way to reach me. It's at mdudas, at M-D-U-D-A-S, on Twitter, my DMs are open and you know I really do enjoy hearing from folks even folks who are trolling <laughs> um, particularly in private it's it's a it's a better opportunity to have a conversation and hear feedback and uh, and I'm also mdutus at the blockcrypto.com which is actually our website so our URL is the uh, we want it to be the starting point, the homepage for all serious folks. So folks who have a base level understanding of cryptocurrencies, of uh, blockchain technology and of their applications, and really want to stay up to date on what's happening day in and day out in the ecosystem. Uh, so please, you know, www.theblockcrypto.com join us
0: there and let's hope that you never have to raise money so you can actually just buy the block.com because that's been a little ridiculous yeah. <laughs>
1: but we've we seen how much uh urls can cost right from uh, from voice.com
0: we won't, go, we won't go there. That's another narrative that's happening in the last few days with some of the, the projects, but we won't go there. Never
1: tiring. Never tiring in cryptocurrency, is it?
0: An inside joke for people, but they can find out more. Anyway, this is Mike Dudas at The Block. Check him out. Go on theblockcrypto.com. It is a resource that... Hundreds and thousands of people within the digital asset space look at every single day to pick up news and information about what's happening in this wacky world of crypto land. So Mike, thank you for joining us. Hopefully you can come back and give us an update in a few months on how everything's going. Thanks, Mike. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash layer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Base Layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca or myself David Nage at David J N seventy nine. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.